This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Federal News Network reporter Drew Friedman filling in for Tom this week. As of Monday, open season for federal employees' health benefits or FEHB program is officially underway. Tom Temin and I recently spoke with Kevin Moss, a director at Consumers Checkbook, about what federal employees should keep an eye out for over the next month. Almost all plans are going to be more expensive next year. Not quite as bad as last year. The average enrolling increase last year was 8.7%. This year, it's only 7.7%, so a little bit less. But still, if you look at both of those two years combined, this is one of the highest two-year periods that active federal employees, or really all federal employees and annuitants, have seen on FEHB premium in, in recent times. Um, even just two years ago, the average enrollee increase was 3.8%. So, much higher premiums. These are a for sure expense. Got to pay all the premium. Um, but this premium, it's just an average. Not all plans actually raised their premiums last year. In fact, 31 plans, the premiums decreased. Eight plans, the premiums the same. 68 plans below the average. And then 47 plans above the average. But the overall theme here, much higher premiums next year. I think one interesting thing here, Kevin, is that for 2023, when we saw the 8.7% average premium, premium increase, I, you know, I anticipated at least that that might cause more people to take a look during open season, but it was still seeming around that same number, 5% actually taking a look or taking action during open season. Do you foresee any reason that there might be change this year uh, in terms of how many people take a look? I hope it's higher. <laughs> but if I'm being realistic, we're probably still looking at the 5%. There's a lot of inertia of keeping the same plan that you're in. But we also really advise that people do take this time during open season, look to see if there's some better plan values out there. If you've been in the same plan for 5, 10, 15 years, there probably are new plans you've never looked at before. Overall, next year, there aren't a lot of new plan options available for federal employees. Um, there's There's one new plan in Northern Virginia, Centara Health, which was previously in Newport News. They have added a new plan in Northern Virginia. And then Compass Rose has added a new plan. They used to just have one. Now they have two. And Compass Rose also added um, eligibility for Department of Veterans Affairs employees to join Compass Rose plans. The other thing that can happen year over year is that sometimes with local HMOs, the service area may change. So there might be certain counties that a plan has added. There may be certain counties where are taken away. So you can't just assume that the plan that you have is going to be the same plan next year. And especially if you happen to be enrolled in a Humana plan, all Humana plans are gone next year. And this was a huge decrease in the overall number of plans. So last year, 271 FEHB plans. And this year, only 156. That's almost entirely because Humana has left the market. There was a few other smaller HMOs around the country that uh, have gone away. Indiana University Health Plan and then AltCare in Ohio also left FEHB. But given the reduction in numbers, which looks dramatic, 
in a sense, people only lost one option, which yeah. is Humana. I mean, Th- no, that's correct. The way Humana worked, they, they were in some larger states like Texas and Florida, and they had multiple plans offered for different geog- or different metro areas in Texas. So there might have been a plan in Houston and a different one in Dallas. So uh, yes, uh, but often they would have like two or three plan options in those areas. So there were there are far fewer. But Humana wasn't a nationwide option for federal employees. It was only in certain states. Um, most of the plans that were available last year are still there this year. In fact, all national plans that were available last year are still available this year to federal employees and retirees. So if you are someone who was in a Humana plan, does that mean that you have to take a look? What happens if you don't make a selection during open season? You don't have to take a look. Um, because what OPM will do is they will auto-enroll you in the lowest-cost national PPO plan, which is GEHA Elevate, which may be the right plan for you. It may not be the right plan for you. I think most people will want to, if their plan is no longer available, pick the right plan for them. So it's going to be really important if your plan is gone to go study the plans that are available to you, see which ones offer the best value. We advocate very strongly to look at the estimated total cost. Don't just shop on premium. You have to factor in out of pocket because everyone's going to use this plan. They're going to experience the healthcare system. And there's wide differences in terms of the cost and coverage available in plans. There's a lot of plans that offer tremendous value. So make sure you're looking at total costs, not just one small aspect that a plan offers. And by the way, is there any single driving factor for these higher prices? I mean, we know there's inflation in the land. I never know whether inflation causes health care to get more expensive or health care is the cause of inflation. I think you could probably look at it both ways. Yeah. When OPM released uh, this year's open season in their press release, they mentioned higher prescription drug usage, higher outpatient care as the principal drivers. And I will say that the FEHB program and OPM are looking like all large employer health systems. Um, I think last week, Kaiser Family Foundation released the health benefits survey where they looked at all uh, large employer group plans around the country in the private sector. 7% on average, uh, you know, premiums going up. It's a little bit higher in FEHB, but it's not, you know, outside the bounds. So higher health care costs are hitting everyone. Um, and yeah, there's some inflationary aspects of this, and the healthcare system is not immune to what's happening in the economy writ large. And in terms of when you you mentioned that you can you know look at or compare different options, I know that OPM has their online comparison tool. Is that the best uh, option for uh, federal enrollees to use, or what else can where else can you take a look? What else should you be looking at? Well, we publish Checkbook's Guide to Health Plans for federal employees. Go to guidetohealthplans.org. There's about 50 agencies or so that are providing free access to the guide. Uh, What we do that's different that only can be found in our guide is the ranking of plans on estimated yearly cost. you are going to experience the, uh, the healthcare system. You are going to go to the doctor. You're going to have urgent care visits. You may have maintenance prescription drugs. You can't shop just on premium. We show that many plans offer thousands of dollars of savings over popular PPO plans. Um, and so we really advocate that that's really the way to go about this. And with these higher premiums, Kevin, come some increases in benefits and services offered by the plans, too. So it's not all just price. 
Possibly. Um, one thing we always advocate for is looking at Section 2 of the official FEHB plan brochure. This is the section where it will say, this is how your plan is changing for the upcoming plan year. In that section, you will find out how your plan is changing. You may find out that there's some additional preauthorization requirements for a procedure that never existed before, or maybe those are taken away and there's easier access to a service. You may find things like the catastrophic out-of-pocket maximum has increased in your plan. There's actually one plan next year, United Choice Plus Advanced, for self-only enrollees increasing from 3,000 to 6,000 in one year, a doubling. That's That's nice of them. (laughs) <laughs> That's 6000 to 12000 for self plus one or self and family. This is a really big change in that plan in terms of the overall risk of being in that plan from one year to the next. So you, you have to check to see if something like that might happen. Now, that's uh, you know just one small example. This doesn't happen in all the plans, but I highlight that as one of the things that you may find when you're looking in that section. You also find that new benefits are allowed that have never been uh, there before. A few that I want to highlight. Um, all Samba plans offer doula coverage. This is a new kind of expansion of maternity benefits that uh, we, we are now starting to see more plans having more comprehensive maternity services. Blue Cross plans, all Blue Cross plans, both basic standard, FEP Blue Focus, they now add maritable, I'm sorry, marital and family counseling. So this is expansion of mental health benefits. These are two issues, both maternal health and mental health, that are priority issues for OPM to see that FEHB plans are doing even a better job of covering uh, and helping federal employees with. So go ye forth and multiply, and now there's some federal health benefit plan support for it. That's correct. And Kevin, aren't there also some changes this year to infertility and coverage or treatments that you can get in plans that involve that? Yeah, this is the biggest, this is really one of the biggest benefit changes this year uh, for 2024. So in the spring, OPM uh, announced through an FEHB carrier that they were going to start mandating certain infertility services. The two that all plans must cover now are all artificial insemination procedures and fertility drugs related to artificial insemination and IVF. And you will find, if you're looking at Section 2 of the plan brochure, that if the, your plan previously didn't have that coverage, they now do have that coverage. A couple of things uh, to point out with that. One, uh, you're still a pretty significant coinsurance for those services. These services are quite expensive, so you can expect still, even though the plan is covering these services, to see high out-of-pocket costs um, still. The second is some plans have carved out those services so as they are not applicable to the out-of-pocket maximum. So you might be, you know, be paying thousands of dollars for this infertility service, um, but it's not counting to the out-of-pocket max. So uh, un- you know, you will have to study pretty hard to understand how this will impact you. All the plan, all every FEHB plan now covers this. Previously, a lot of the, not a lot of them, but some of the HMOs were providing this. And and the infertility services that were available in FEHB was largely driven by where you live. State of Hawaii had passed a law many years ago where plants that reside in the state of Hawaii must cover IVF. And so um, HMSA and Kaiser, who both operate in Hawaii, those plans 
have covered IVF, and they've covered it for many years, but hardly any national PPO plans up to now have had much service, especially for plans that have open enrollment. Foreign service last year added some infertility service, and this year it's even better because last year I think there was like a $5,000 maximum that they would pay for infertility service. That maximum's now been taken away. So if you qualify for foreign service, that plan has even richer infertility services. And then the big one that happened this year, Blue Cross Standard now has a $25,000 coverage for assisted reproductive technologies. This includes IVF. Um, They will pay up to $25,000. And the artificial insemination procedures and fertility drugs do not count towards that $25,000. So this is a really rich benefit, something that you can't find in in hardly any national PPO plan that has open enrollment. So if you need fertility services, look very closely at Blue Cross Standard. At the same time, understand that Blue Cross Standard is the highest premium national PPO plan. So this better coverage. It doesn't come for free. You're going to be paying, you know, if if you're not in Blue Cross Standard now, you're going to be paying a much higher premium than than the premium you're paying now. Make sure to keep that in mind. And then one last thing with infertility, there's going to be a lot of out-of-pocket costs. You're still going to be on the hook for a lot of out-of-pocket cost share. Make sure that you're maxing out the FSA. You save 30% for all you know medical services that you pay through the flexible spending account. And a final question before we break. The choice of me plus one versus family if you're married or have a spouse What's the best thinking this year on that front? Self plus one, which is what I like to call it and what OPM calls it, Tom, um, is less expensive 75% of the time or so. But there's about you know 40 or so plans where self and family actually is less expensive. And this can add up to some serious money. Um, Kaiser High in the Washington, D.C. area, I think it's almost $1,500 a year one way or the other. So you could either save $1,500 if, you were, if you're that two-person family. So this could either be a married couple or it could be a single parent and a child. Um, those are the two-person families that, w- that we're talking about. You could either save $1,500 by enrolling in, in uh, self and family, or you could basically waste $1,500 by enrolling in self plus one. You get the same plan either way, the same benefits either way. So make sure you're going the least expensive way. And the best way to go, the easiest way to go to find that out, you go to the last page of the plan brochure. This is the premium table. They will show you um, the enrollee share. They'll show you the government share. They'll show you self plus one. They'll show you self and family. Make sure you're looking at the right place. Pick the number that's lowest. That's the way you want to enroll. Kevin Moss is the director of Consumer's Checkbook Guide to Health Plans for Federal Employees. Next Wednesday, we'll cover open season advice for federal retirees. We'll be taking a short break now, and when we return, we discuss the prospects of a continuing resolution or a possible government shutdown. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Network. I'm Drew Friedman. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. Congress has just a few days to pass a continuing resolution and avoid a government shutdown at the end of the week. 
I spoke with John Hatton, a vice president at the National Active and Retired Federal Employees Association, or NARF, to get the latest. In the near term, the odds are good that we're not facing a shutdown this week. What they passed was a continuing resolution that extends government funding into the new year. Uh, So hopefully we'll also avoid the prospect of a government shutdown over the holidays. They used a pretty novel continuing resolution concept. People are calling it a laddered CR or a two-step CR, where four of the appropriations bills, which fund uh, particular agencies, uh, have a continuing resolution through January 19th, and then another eight go through February 2nd. So, you know, I think that was an idea pushed by the House Freedom Caucus, the, the most conservative part of the House Republican Caucus, though they didn't vote for the CR after that. <laughs> so um, we'll see how that all plays out. I think, you know, the White House and some Democrats weren't thrilled with this idea of a laddered CR, but it was a clean CR. It kept funding levels at the same level as they are now. And so, you know, to avoid a shutdown, they supported it as well. And there were, at least in maybe earlier drafts of the appropriations package, things like, you know, an attempt to block Schedule F. What are a couple things that might have impacted federal employees? Did any of that end up in the uh, final appropriations package here? So the continuing resolution that passed the House yesterday, and that's expected to pass the Senate, expected to be passed by the president, didn't include um, significant changes to law. It's just extending current funding you know, through the new year and that kind of laddered approach. Meanwhile, both the House and the Senate have been working on kind of full year appropriations bills that may have new language, may have different funding levels, um, fund different programs. And so the House took up the financial services and general government bill uh, recently and that included some, you know, first of all, the House has been, has been passing these bills with much lower levels of funding that, than this year or with what was agreed to uh, in the Fiscal Responsibility Act, which uh, raised the debt limit um, that set what we thought were budget caps or everything. So significant cuts to OPM funding. You know, on the flip side, that included report language saying we're concerned about OPM retirement services, but then it didn't really provide the funding needed to improve those services. It also included some language on the thrift savings plan, kind of preventing investments in funds that use primary criteria that are environmental, social, and governance. The thrift board said that would force us to close the mutual fund window because we can't uh, monitor all those funds. And they just recently rolled that out, giving people options within the TSP outside of those core funds. So there's some problematic provisions. Uh, The good news is that didn't pass the House. They didn't have the votes, so they pulled it from the floor uh, prior to voting for it. Meanwhile, the Senate is working on kind of minibuses, a combination of three bills at a time, uh, trying to pass those. The House has um, passed, I think, now seven of the 12. So at the same time, we have this continuing resolution to provide more time for the appropriations process and seeing some of these uh, specific provisions enter the debate. You know, the continuing resolution gives more time to kind of pass the remaining ones and negotiate between the House and the Senate. And it sounds like it might be less likely at this point, but just give a reminder of what would happen to the federal pay raise that's in the works if there was a government shutdown. The pay raise, if Congress is silent and this continuing resolution is silent on this issue, it defers to the president. The president has the authority to 
raise federal pay absent some uh, direction from Congress to the contrary. President Biden issued his alternative pay plan in August, uh, which indicated that there would be a 4.7% across the board increase uh, plus 0.5% increase in locality pay. So if this continuing resolution passes, which is passed the House, it's expected to pass the Senate and be signed into law, we're looking pretty safe for a federal pay raise come January. And other than all of the, you know, the appropriations process, the continuing resolution, there's several other bills that are quite relevant to federal employees and retirees right now. Uh, One of those is the Social Security Fairness Act, which would uh, repeal two provisions, the windfall elimination provision and the government pension offset. Can you explain a little bit more about, you know, what exactly those provisions of Social Security do and what what it would mean to federal retirees if those were repealed? These have long been a top issue for NARF. Uh, They affect the civil service retirement system retirees in the federal government who, when working for the federal government under that system, did not pay into Social Security. But they may have gone outside of federal government and earned their Social Security through private sector work. But when they go and apply for that Social Security benefit, it gets reduced by the windfall elimination provision. Uh, And then the government pension offset would reduce their spousal or survivor benefits. So they both reduce Social Security benefits, in our view, unfairly because you're earning the CSRS pension. It also affects state and local uh, government retirees. The good news is this bill to repeal both provisions has 300 co-sponsors in the House. We're up to 49 in the Senate. Last year was the first time a House or any congressional committee advanced the bill to repeal it. There's a hearing scheduled in Louisiana, a field hearing uh, next Monday, uh, the 20th, uh, to take a look at this and really hear the stories from people that are directly affected. And Louisiana is one of those states where the police, the firefighters in that state are affected, the teachers in that state are affected, uh, as well as you know CSRS retirees. So trying to raise some more uh, light on the issue and hopefully get some movement. Um, this was also done pursuant to a letter from Garrett Graves and Spamberger, who are the lead sponsors of the bill asking for a hearing. So it's moving along. We're making progress. We just got to keep up the momentum on it. And you know, that bill, it's been around for a very long time. But as you mentioned, it's gained a lot of traction just in the past couple of years. Do you see that as something that, you know, even if it doesn't make it by this Congress, something that could happen or has maybe a better chance of happening in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think we're seeing more attention to it. We've seen actual action. We're seeing hearings now. I think, you know, it's still an uphill climb on the full repeal of these provisions just because the cost, right? So the biggest barrier to passing these and the reason it hasn't passed yet being a bill with 300 co-sponsors is that it has a budget cost. The Social Security Trust Fund already has some solvency issues. So this would make those solvency issues a little bit worse. Now, my argument is that this is not a fair provision. It's already helped keep the trust fund solvent for this long. You know, this is part of the package of reforms in the late 70s and 80s to help keep Social Security uh, solvent. So we should be able to figure out a way to fix this, uh, at least incrementally in the near term. And, and, and make some progress on this, this issue. I think the, the momentum has really been growing in terms of the, the amount of support there is in Congress for this. And other than that, Bill, I know there's another one that you and NARF have been tracking pretty closely, the Equal COLA Act. Can you explain what the problem is or why this bill was introduced in the first place and if there have been any marks of progress as of late for that bill? The Equal Coal Act is something uh, that addresses an issue we see with the FERS retirement system, uh, wherein when inflation is higher than 2%, FERS retirees don't get that full COLA. So when the cost of living goes up by 5%, the FERS retirees get 4%. 
And so what we want to see is just take that kind of reduction in the cost of living adjustment out uh, of the equation. And that's, that's what the Equal Coal Act would do. It's very simple. It does have some progress. It finally got a, a bill introduced in the Senate that had been last year as well. Senator Padilla introduced recently the Equal Coal Act in the Senate with uh, a few co-sponsors. We also have more co-sponsors in the House this Congress uh, than we did at the end of last Congress, and we still got another year to go. So we're making progress on that. That doesn't have the same level of support as the Social Security Fairness Act. So we have a little further to go on that, but we're still trying to build progress year to year and Congress to Congress. One other piece of news that we just saw this week was the Thrift Savings Plan is changing its benchmark for uh, one of its funds. Can you explain a little bit more about what's going on there and what that's going to mean for participants in the TSP? really kind of go back a few years and the TSP had been looking to expand the iFund investments beyond its current holdings uh, into emerging markets. And so they had already planned to do this expansion that ran into some political resistance because it would have included investments in China. So there was some pressure from the Trump administration, pressure from Senator Marco Rubio and a couple others uh, in the Senate on that. And the thrift board decided to hold off on expanding the I funds. Uh, also, more recently, in the Senate NDAA, there was an amendment from Marco Rubio to prevent any investments in securities of national concern. It would have implicated the current I funds because they have some investments in Hong Kong, which is now part of China. And so that could have implicated whether the current I fund was viable going forward if that passed. It didn't become part of the NDAA, but it got 56 votes from senators and it had a 60 vote threshold. So there were some concerns, I think, that the current iPhone had some political issues. The previous plan had some political issues. And what the new change is, is that they're expanding the iPhone fund, which they wanted to do a little less than a decade ago. Uh, but if they're excluding China and they're excluding Hong Kong from those investments. So it's going to go beyond the European Canadian uh, investments and get into more emerging markets, getting a little bit more diversified investments for TSP participants. But it still takes out kind of areas where there is a lot of controversy, specifically China and Hong Kong. So interesting new development. We'll have to see the implementation is next year. Um, we'll have to see some more guidance from the thrift board on exactly how that will work. I'm sure people will get equal value uh, in their investments and their transition. But I think it's a good news sign that allows people to have a little bit um, more exposure to more markets, again, without those uh, those controversial provisions. John Haddon is a vice president at NARF. And that's it for this week's FedLife. We'll be back next week. Until then, I'm reporter Drew Friedman, and this is Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.